We live in a world with many different cultures and points of view, but there seems to be a sort of predominant cultural value, at least in the circles where we travel, that sexuality and spirituality are in conflict or at odds or different things. Uh, and one of the things I first learned about your writing and work and approach uh, is that you don't believe that that is the case and that perhaps people are making this way too complicated or maybe something even worse than that. Uh, can you tell me about your point of view on that divide or that value and what's what it does to us? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's like the question for humanity. I would say, yeah, it's not just our little corner of the Internet. It's like an age-old problem that you could almost say has shaped humanity. Uh, I had a background as an environmental activist and... To me, it makes perfect sense to say that the way that humans treat the planet is caused by that imaginary split between God and sex or between something divine and something mundane, something of the world. So, yeah, it's not a problem we've invented in my view. <laughs> it's It goes so much deeper and it's kind of reassuring. It's like, okay, this is dysfunctional, but it's not something we came up with. This is a legacy that's been handed on hmm. that's... Um, it's just so deeply ingrained to think that the sacred and the embodied are somehow two separate things that have to be either you choose one or you reconcile them difficultly and it causes so much pain for everybody involved. And even if you think you've kind of reconciled that, it can lurk in the psyche in all kinds of unfortunate ways, you know, of just certain assumptions, certain ways of feeling about yourself, of feeling about other people, certain deprioritization of relationship, you know, and it's something that I was always attracted to about your work is that the nobility of a householder's life and of a of a married relationship being celebrated as the place for spiritual life. Hooray! I was so happy to see that. It was like music to my ears. Well, that's not uncommon in my culture. I come from a culture yes. where marriage and children are sort of the first commandment God ever gave to humanity and are the and that that is the ideal model for a religious life and religious leaders are married and have tons of children. Now, sex has a lot of rules in Jewish culture, Good. religious rules. Uh, and yeah, like a lot of them are, uh, uh, well, they're, they come into conflict with contemporary values in lots of times and places throughout history. And, but, but they also evolve and the system has a means to evolve. I don't really want to litigate sort of like Orthodox Judaism and its sexual morality exactly, uh, I just want to say, like, that problem doesn't come from 
Like that, that problem, that problem, I don't want to say it doesn't exist in Jewish culture, but what I want to say is that it is a particular point of view. Uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the divide, the dualism between the sacred and yes. the embodied. And, and it's, it's not one that I had to unlearn, I think. Mm. I love the sort of ref- like uh, the, the way that it's refreshing to you to hear <laughs> to hear me say things like that. I want to know how you is it different for you? Did you have to did you have to unlearn something here? Yeah, interesting question, because I didn't grow up religious on the surface. And so I think I would be representative of a lot of people who don't think that they're affected by the dualities of Christian and other religious points of view, you know, Mm -hmm. that posits the sacred and the sexual as two separate things. But, you know, it's only like one or two generations deep, this thin veneer of atheism on an absolutely massive bottom of the iceberg uh, Christian ways of thinking. And so it's, it's very, very hopeful of my parents' generation to think that they had gotten rid of the issues of religion because it's absolutely everywhere. It's drenched in the language. It's drenched in... Uh, wearing swimming clot togs at the beach, you know, it's drenched in your relationship with your own genitals. It's drenched in, you know, just all of the things that people might see as normal in New Zealand white culture of, mm-hmm. of Christmas. Or, you know, talking to my aunt who lives in Christchurch, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just becomes a place name. But when you pause and think about this, it's absolutely everywhere you look around, and. Um, so I found it useful to have, to, you know, to pause and say, actually, so many things about the way I experience and see things are structured by Christian norms. And, um, and you can't escape that by running off to India or becoming a Swami or something, because all of the issues that are there with Catholic celibacy, for example, are there with Swamiism and the same duality of, of sex and spirit. You know, and the same uh, problems of abuse uh, and, you know, repressed sex coming out in, in unhealthy ways are there in um, those branches of the Eastern religions that mm-hmm. also see sex as a, as a polluting, degraded kind of thing. They create their own uh, reality and you see the things happening the stories coming out of Swami after Swami who's exposed for inappropriate sexual behavior. It's just just the exotic version of the Catholic problem, you know. (laughs) Not to get too depressing on it, but that's why I care. You know, it's not like an abstract concept to me. It's like if people, if we create frameworks that see what is sacred and what is sexual as separate things, then every sincere seeker will try and repress their sex and that causes so much suffering for everybody. I want to ask like the personal version of this question uh, with as much permission to get to be as personal or as impersonal about it as you would like. Go for it. But I want to know about your process of discovering this problem in your own life. I feel that anything really worth discovering hasn't come to me from a book, although books have changed my life. It's come in relationship with someone who's already embodied that. And that Uh is definitely 
been the case for discovering a sexuality that is um, about love and that is about the whole body as an expression of love with somebody else, something completely beautiful, completely positive, completely um, life-affirming and respectful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just was not my early life sexual experience. And I could say New Zealand, but it's definitely not limited to New Zealand, you know. Despite what I said about Jewish culture having more or less healthy, I mean, like, I don't even want to use the word healthy, despite despite what I said about Jewish culture having, like, sexuality as, as a normal part of life. Yes. I, I would still consider what you just described to be unusual in my culture, mm, that, yeah. that the level of connection and, uh, like, integration and understanding. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, of course, like, Jewish culture is not, like, I, I particularly exceptional. I mean, I don't have statistics or anything, but it's not like particularly exceptional in terms of like marital health or like sexual function or like rates of couples therapy. Or I mean, I, I don't know. I just yeah. I still think what you're describing sounds special to me. And so I, I want to know about the specialness because it's, there's, there's, it's complicated because we're talking about something that we believe should be normal. I think it's safe for both of us to say but it still sounds very special and unique and deeper than believe i think it is normal to the human system you know i think every single person has a capacity and maybe even a longing to express love with the whole body in a way that's not exaggerated that's not using another person to try and feel something that's not um uh closed down to relationship or numbed to the flow of feeling between people in some way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I guess no culture, however beautiful the the um, understandings and the teachings, is living in a vacuum. Sure. And so there's the whole influences of, of modernity that we're living in that mm-hmm. create a certain condition for the body and that I think that's why both you and I have turned to um, some practices from different traditions mm. to help us live the ideals that we're attracted to or mm-hmm. that come to us through our ancestors. You know, I did my whole master's on William Blake, who was who's a, a famous um, great mystic poet of an enlightened sexuality. But I was, you know, writing about Blake all day. Was I going home to practice what he wrote? Completely not. Absolute, <laughs> you know, dysfunction at home, you know, like confusion of... Uh, boyfriends and just the usual New Zealand confusion. So I would say that it has been, sorry to mention the Y word, but yoga uh-huh. <laughs> and these beautiful, difficult word, tantric traditions. And please let me explain that word because it's so please loaded do. and misunderstood <laughs> that have enabled those ideals to be actualized you know and actually lived rather than just admired from a distance like a tiger in the zoo (laughs) (laughs) i would love for you to explain that word a little bit more i think just for the benefit of people who don't have who don't who don't have specific things come to mind when you say that we have various practices yeah i would love to hear you as a teacher of such practices describe what level they're working on and what these words you can use for them mean Well, I remember first picking up a book by uh, Mark, my husband and my teacher as well, 
which in the tradition that we're in is fairly normal, but which might be unconventional to some. Um, And it had this phrase saying that um, it was talking about receptivity and about how the whole body, the soft frontal line of the body wants to receive another person. And as soon as I read that line in that book, something in me responded like, oh, yes, I know that's true. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a truth just coming in from the outside. It was activating some sort of knowledge on the inside. Like, yes, yes, I do want to do that. And maybe I think everyone has glimpses of that sometimes, you know, in a moment of orgasm or maybe a moment of birth or of someone dying or on the top of a mountain, Mm -hmm. there's that dissolution of self. But then what do you do with those moments? Do you go chasing them with a kind of conventional greed with your shopping cart, trying to get more and more of them? And for me, um, I was just drawn to uh, a a tantric yoga tradition that was not about controlling energy and not um, uh, not about manipulating the mind or body just to try and get experiences for oneself. Because when I look around in Bali or in Thailand and what the kids are doing, <laughs> I say like an elderly person, <laughs> is it's, it's, um, it's not good. You know, when people hear this word tantra, they think of neo-tantra. This word has really colonized the right to that word. Whereas they should be thinking of something more like a very simple descriptor, like how we use the name Renaissance to describe a whole movement in Europe. You could use the word tantric age to describe a medieval time mm-hmm. in India and surrounding geography that was had some norms across diverse subcultures. And one scholar of that time, Christopher Wallace, he, he calls the sexual culture in some of those subcultures one of the lost wonders of the world. Mm-hmm. And that really touches me, you know, when I look around at the sort of dumbness of uh, lack of sexual wisdom that I was born into, the idea that some people sometime might have had a wiser culture around sexuality that would have avoided some of the suffering and confusion and, you know, the pain that you take on from unpleasant experience that then you have to release again through some kind of process. That's really beautiful to me. I love... You know, I'm not under an illusion it was like Eden, (laughs) but there's some profound wisdom available in those times. And we're talking, you know, fourth to the 14th century kind of thing Mm -hmm. and not not the sort of modern what they call neo-tantra, which has some real hallmarks of learning methods and techniques, like I say, to try and manipulate energy rather than learning devotional practice to allow the natural faculties of the body i think everybody naturally wants to love and be loved Mm -hmm. in a flow and you know no matter where we're from the shock of modern life contracts the body and makes it harder to feel um love energy flowing with another person Mm -hmm. and Maybe we have a a glimpse of that, but then it's just torturous if you don't have a a window into that with continuity in daily life. Mm. And that's even if you can maintain a relationship, which, um, you know, there's a lot of barriers to. Yeah, this was actually the the thing I wanted to ask next. It felt like it was going to be kind of a left turn, but it's actually exactly where you ended up, which is that 
I something that's very frustrating about communicating about the spiritual life in public, in online in particular, the way we do and in the places and circles where we do, is that it feels like the basic like structures of relationship are not even in place a lot of the time. And some of that, some of that is uh, clear just from mm-hmm. the way people treat each other there. But also when the conversation, meaning online, but when the conversation turns to relationships and love and sexuality, there are just such basic lacks of empathy, like, like, you know, and so, some of it, some of it is even, you know, as we understand by now, I think, neurodivergence in all different directions, people being unable to understand each other or where each other is coming from. But there's no compensating cultural structures or teachings of uh, like basic empathy that would allow for relationships. Like the conversations about relationships are just so dumb. Like, and, and, and the thing you mentioned, the sexuality conversations being dumb too. But it feels downstream from that sometimes. Yes. I, I wonder, like people try and work on all kinds of aspects of society, quote unquote, in order to fix like the relationship problems and yeah. the, the lack, the loss of the village and all of that. Do you think that this natural truth of the body that you're describing is maybe a better way in to like propose intimacy as a goal and then see like if you can work towards that with another person or, or or are there too many like missing pieces of trust in the world to really get to that point for so many people? Wow. That's a whole hour long conversation. We could just have about (laughs) that. Yeah. Um, I feel that intimacy can be something that we don't work towards, but that we practice now in the present, you know, that there's a revolution that has to happen in relationship from you are here to please me to, you know, from trying to get love to I love you. And I see that as a really internal shift that that we make in relationship and that we maybe we receive that from someone else, a genuine love that's not trying to get something from us that enables us to make that shift. And that's why I, you know, advocate the role of of actual teachers, not just a homemade potpourri of spiritual coping mechanisms. Um, Because we need to, it's about relationship. It's not about knowledge. When we feel loved, then we're kind of filled up. And it's a a love that's not trying to get something from us, which is not the usual experience in relationship. Then I think we become capable of, of loving someone else without just trying to get something that we didn't get from our parents. And, you know, like, you could go right down the rabbit hole of Oedipal and parental wounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, I think the yoga enables people to practice an intimacy with life. Like, you're, with your breath, you're making love with life every day. Mm-hmm. And then it's almost a no-brainer that that manifests on the outside, making love with somebody else. Sometimes people don't even see it coming. They're mm-hmm. like, oh... I just wanted a yoga practice and now suddenly I've got a relationship happening. I didn't even plan for this, you know. There's like some kind of cosmic law of what happens on the inside happens on the outside. And maybe not in the way they planned for or their mind was (laughs) thinking would happen, you know. Mm. And I love seeing that happen and I can't deny it as a phenomenon, having seen it a certain number of times. But 
it's also a, a hero's path, I think, in this time to be in relationship with another person because you've got all your own patterning and then suddenly you've got someone else's patterning to deal with as well and that's like millions of times more complex. <laughs> it's definitely a heroic journey. And, you know, I don't think anyone should feel ashamed of being single in, mm. in this time because then it's like, hooray, thank God, you don't have to deal with another person. You can still practice your sexual life of receiving your breath, receiving reality, feeling pleasure of being alive um, freely and probably with a lot more simplicity. <laughs> like I don't want to paint some kind of a picture that you have to catch someone in a net in order to have a sexual life, you know.